All right, we are still talking about the purification offerings in chapter 4, verses 1 to 5, 13. Now, this purification offering is also known as a sin offering. The noun for sin uh, is based on a particular um, Hebrew verb, and in that particular form, actually means to unsin or to desin. For instance, there's a verb that means to throw stones out on the ground. There's another verb which means destone a place, pick them all up. And it, it all depends on what form of the Hebrew verb we're talking about. Whenever you have uh, the middle letter of the, of the noun doubled, it, uh, it reflects this particular uh, it's called the P-A-L theme in, in Hebrew, and it uh, doubles the, the middle letter. So that's, that's what this offering is called. It's called the de-sinning uh, offering. Or, in other words, another way to look at it is the purification offering. So we've already taken a look. Well, this is not advancing. Hello. Anybody know how to fix that? Oh, there's Betsy. She's on it. Here we go. The first thing, three offerings we noted go together. Uh, they are the burnt, the, the grain, and the peace offerings. And then the next two, purification or guilt offering and guilt offerings, purification and guilt offerings, likewise form a unit involving atonement for the sins of various classes of individuals and even the entire nation of Israel as a whole. And so remember, the purpose of the offerings is to allow sinners to draw near to the holy God who now dwells in their midst. That holy God cannot countenance uh, sin polluting his tabernacle, his dwelling, and cannot tolerate sin polluting the nation of people that he has brought into a covenant relationship with himself. Our holy God cannot stand sin. We need to be reminding ourselves of that daily. Every single day we live. It's true for us, just as true for us as it was for the Israelite. It's helpful to recognize the Old Testament often uses impurity as a metaphor for sin. For instance, when David is confessing his sin in Psalm 51.2, he says, Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. So the picture of, of wandering a dirty garment is the picture that the Old Testament uh, uses to uh, apply to a spiritual realm. Wash me from my sin. Sin affects more than the sinner. We've already noted that. It can bring disaster on a whole corporate body. Uh, if, If we allow sin in our lives, that has an influence on other people. You might think, Oh, I don't have any influence on anybody else. Well, of course you do. 
grandparents. Your lives influence your grandchildren. Parents, your lives affect your children. Leaders, church leaders, your lives affect a lot of people here at church. Yeah, you might not be somebody like a famous preacher who's on the radio preaching to millions of people every week. That doesn't mean you don't influence people. Even within, say, a peer group, let's say you're in school right now, you have an influence bigger than you probably realize on those who know you and interface with you on a daily basis. All right, the worst part about sin, it involves the dishonor it brings to the Lord's being, to his name, to his character. We become bad, uh, bad influencers about what people know about God. And that ought to scare us uh, worse than anything I can think of, that we would live in such a way to bring dishonor on God's name. Have you ever witnessed to somebody and they have said this to you, something like this? Well, okay, yeah, maybe what you're saying to me is true, but I know a Christian at work, says he's a Christian, but you ought to see the way he lives. You ought to hear the jokes he tells. You ought to, you know, guy goes on and on about how dishonest this Christian is, how the Christian backstabs everybody at work, blah, blah, blah. And in other words, rather than being a believer who wants to reflect well on his Savior, he is living a careless, worldly life, and it's influencing people to the point where they don't even want to listen to the gospel or to assent to its truth. Now, purification offerings address an infraction that is, in most translations, uh, English translations, unintentional. Now, this translation of the uh, Hebrew word here is shagaga, kind of a funny-sounding name, isn't it? Shagaga. Uh, This translation implies that, first of all, a person knows what the law demands, but he is unaware that he's breaking it. Now, how, would you, how could that be the case? Can anybody think about an analogy in everyday life? You know what the law says, but you're breaking it. What did somebody say? Speeding? Yeah, let's say, you know the speed limit's such and such, it's posted right on the side of the road. These days, like, did you travel on I-85 to get here for church today? If you don't go over the speed limit, you are a hazard in the road. It's crazy. If, so it, you usually like to have, stay over to the right a bit. <clears throat> I can remember one time I was driving on the Long Island Expressway and my 1972 Super Beetle, Volkswagen Super Beetle, that was a while ago, folks. But anyway, the right hand, the speed limit back there, 65. Well, a Super Beetle 
takes a while to get to 65. You might get it up to 70, and that 40 horsepower motor is about, that's about maxed out. It's about as fast as you could go. So I never ventured out into the other lanes. Uh, you know, the, the next one over is probably 70 to 80. The left-handmost lane was like the Autobahn. I mean, this was a place where Porsche 911s and Ferrari Testarossas and that, this, these kind of cars, that's where they, they drove. Oh, maybe a, a, a AMG-class uh, Mercedes sedan. Boy, those guys would fly. I'll bet they were going over 100, easily over 100. You know, we've become a whole society of people who know what the speed limit is, but we don't obey it. Sometimes we do that on purpose, sometimes inadvertently, okay? Unintentionally. We're not watching our speed, and perhaps this has happened to you. Uh, and uh, I've never had a speeding ticket, never been pulled over for speeding. That doesn't mean I didn't deserve it, but uh, sometimes I'll be looking, going along, and I'll look down my speedometer, and I'm going, whoa, I ought to slow down. I'm going way too fast. Thankfully, no one was there to measure my speed and pull me over. All right? So it's possible a person can know the law of demands, but not be aware that he's breaking it. Or a person is just unaware of the existence of this particular law. And of course, we even say today, ignorance of the law is no excuse for breaking it. So it's tax time. Maybe you are Maybe you got this funny thing in the mail that uh, form, a particular form, was it 1099, that says uh, you had capital gains on a stock you own. Well, maybe you don't know that you have to report that on your tax return. So you just take the, the 1099 form and throw it in the trash can. You're blissfully ignorant. And then... You, you file your tax return sometime later. The IRS contacts you and says, we are auditing you. <laughs> yes, well, pretty soon you're going to find out that what you did in ignorance has consequences. And you are going to owe more than you thought you did on your tax return. So that's possible, too. All the, mighty, the modern translations translate this shagaga the same way. Look at uh, Leviticus 4, verse 2. Tell the Israelites, when somebody sins intentionally, all right, so uh, there you go. It's, it, the ESV translates, oh, wait a minute, I'm in, I'm in the wrong version here. Hang on. I'm on the Christian Standard Bible. I've been reading some in different versions here lately, and I forgot to switch it back. It's the same in the ESV. Tell the Israelites, once, if anyone sins <clears throat> unintentionally and any of the Lord's commands about things not to be done and does one of them, okay, so here's, here's what we're talking about. Most interpreters will say this is just unintentional. But what if a person sins because he is tempted and he yields to temptation. 
He sins in full awareness of what he's doing. Has this ever been your experience? Have you ever found yourself? You, tell me, how many people here don't know that gossip is a sin? Raise your hand. Well, seeing none, I will assume everybody knows gossip is a sin. Have you ever been in a situation where you know a juicy tidbit, or at least you've heard a juicy tidbit about somebody else, and you're with some other Christian, and you say, did you hear what so-and-so did? And the other person says, no, I haven't heard. What did they do? And you, and you repeat the gossip. Might be right, might be wrong. It's still gossip. And you did that in full, full awareness that you're sinning. Afterwards, we're going to see here, and then you become aware of it, it's time for confession. Thankfully, we don't have a tabernacle that we have to bring an animal to for sacrifice because our Savior was the antitype of this whole sacrificial system, and he died once for sin, for all time. We live in a different, in a different covenant. We live in the new covenant through his blood. But many of the principles are the same here. He sins in full awareness that what he's doing is against God's word, but he sins anyway. I think we'd all have to say that includes us. Does the sin, or also known as purification offering, not apply to willful sin? Is willful sin the same sin as a sin with a raised up hand or a high hand? I'm not just exactly sure how that metaphor of the high hand, uh, of, you know, it ended up being a, a metaphor, but it's sort of like you can see a person shaking his fist in the face of God, so to speak, maybe even literally doing it. He's got the high hand going on. All right, God, uh, I'm going to do this, whether you like it or not. I'll show you. I don't believe you even exist. I'm going to do what I want. I'm the captain of my ship. No one's telling me what to do. You know people like that? Have Have you ever been with a group of people and uh, somebody is doing some wildly, bizarrely sinful thing, they don't even make a a, a pretense of being Christian, and then you might point out the uh, inadvisability of that, and the person will look at you and say, who are you to tell me what's right and wrong? That's up for me to decide, and nobody else is going to decide that. One time, this happened with a fellow that I was uh, witnessing to, and we were driving back and forth to work. We had this little carpool, and he lights up a cigarette, and uh, he's uh, driving down the road, 
And I don't know, cigarette smoke really gets to me. And when you're in a car, you can't get away from it. I said to him, I said, Bill, would you do me a favor and not smoke while you're driving? Whoa, why not? I said, well, number one, you're destroying your health. And number two, now I've got secondhand cigarette smoke and you're destroying my health. Well, who are you to tell me I can't smoke? I said, you know, it's too bad, Bill, but you're, as an as a unbeliever, you are held by the sway of your own sin. That was, that was only Holy Spirit boldness that gave me the, the ability to, to say that. And I said, for instance, it was a Friday. I said, if I were a betting person, which I'm not, I would bet that you can't keep from smoking a cigarette between now and Monday morning. You're a slave to sin. He looked at me. He said, all right, you're on. You don't want to put money on it? I said, nope, not going to put money on it. But I'll just, let's just make uh, a little test here. See how far you get. Monday morning, he shows up to drive to work. I got in the car. I said, hey, Bill, how did it go this weekend? How long did, could you last before you smoked your first cigarette? He looks at me, shut up. I said, it wasn't very long, was it? He said, no, it was maybe three hours. And I smoked all weekend. The whole time I'm thinking, I'm a slave to sin. I can't quit this. And uh, you know what? He never lit up again as long as as I was in the car. and, And then later on, he made a profession of faith. I don't know if he really did get saved, but... I hope he did. All right, now, here are some questions I've asked. Uh, Are you familiar with this Numbers 15 passage? Let's turn there. There are some people who teach that in the Old Testament economy, if a person willfully sinned, there were no sacrifices to cover that because it wasn't unintentional. It was purposeful. Is that the same thing? And they, they, they want to go to Numbers 15, and they want to try to show that any willful sin is the sin with a high hand. All right, so let's turn to chapter 15, verses 22 through 31. But if you sin unintentionally... There's, uh, there's our word again, uh, Shigaga. And do not observe all these commandments that the Lord has spoken to Moses and all that the Lord has commanded you by Moses from the day that the Lord gave commandment and onward through your generations. Then it was done unintentionally without the knowledge of the congregation. All the congregation shall offer one bull from the herd for a burnt offering, a pleasing aroma to the Lord, and its grain offering and its drink offering according to the rule, and one male goat for a sin offering. And the priest 
shall make atonement for all the congregation of the people of Israel. Okay, now in Leviticus 16, this is called the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And here it is being described again in Numbers 15. All the congregation of the people of Israel shall be forgiven, and the stranger who sojourns among them, because the whole population was involved in the unintentional sin. Here translated mistake. All right, so some people teach, yes, Day of Atonement covers all sin, but it didn't cover intentional sin. That was something that would have to wait until Christ uh, came and shed his blood. Now all sin is under the blood of Christ, whether it's intentional or unintentional. I'm going to disagree with that idea, but I'll, I'll tell you why. Verse 27. If one person sins unintentionally, he shall offer a female goat. Yes, the priest shall make atonement before the Lord for the person who makes a mistake and sins unintentionally to make atonement for him, and he shall be forgiven. But now notice verse 30. But the person who does anything with a high hand, this is the sin with a high hand, whether he is native or a sojourner, reviles the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from among his people, because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment, that person shall be utterly cut off. His iniquity shall be on him. Now, there are two possibilities for this phrase, shall be cut off from his people. One is that he be taken into exile, but another interpretation of this fits most applications of the, of the phrase, refers to they're going to kill him. This sin with a high hand is a it's a, it's a capital crime. So, is anything that we do that it's, is intentionally ignores and turns our back on what we know is correct, is that the same thing that's being described here as the sin of the high hand? Notice this person who sins like this is basically shaking his fist in the face of God. He's despised the word of the Lord, has broken his commandment, and basically uh, he's reviling the Lord by doing that. Is that what we're doing? If we're tempted and we fall to temptation, is that the same thing as sin with a high hand? And I would argue it is not. These are two different things. This sin of the high hand is somewhat analogous to what our Savior talked about when he was describing blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And this is something that merited in the theocracy of Old Testament days, mandated capital execution of a person who would do that. This is somewhat analogous. Have you ever wondered, we're going to get to it, why Leviticus specifies that a rebellious child who, 
who strikes his parents. And the, 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 word, the verb for strike there means to lash out with perhaps a deadly blow. He means to kill one of his parents. That he's to be executed. All right, now there's an example of a sin with a high hand. This child is, I mean, we're not talking about a five-year-old here. We're talking about probably somebody who's well into his teen years. If he just decides, I've had it with mom and dad's control out of my, li- of my life. As a matter of fact, I'm tired of these rules and regulations in this country that I've been born into. I'm tired of this, of this God of Israel. And I'm not going to have any part of it anymore. Next time mom and dad tell me to do something I don't want to do, I'll just fix them. I'll let them have it. We're not talking about a kid. You know, you you say to the kid, "Uh, son, I, I want you to clean your room this afternoon. And you come home in the afternoon, the room's still dirty. That's not the same thing. All right? So... What I'm going to argue here is that <clears throat> the word shagaga, which is always translated unintentionally, is just a little bit broader than unintentional, but it's surely not as severe as a sin with a high hand. Okay? Any questions about that? Okay, yes. Uh, well, yeah, you know, that's, that's what you often will hear that they were always obedient and uh, never, never sinned intentionally. In a case like that, you might say, well, let's, let's talk about Abraham. Uh, Abraham goes down to Egypt with Sarah be, to escape a famine, <clears throat> a famine in the land. And um, he's down there in Egypt, and he lies about Sarah. Was that unintentional? Men would say, of course not. How can you... How can you say your wife is your sister unintentionally? So on account of that, Pharaoh takes Sarah to be his wife, and it's only the Lord's grace that he got out of uh, that situation, A, alive, and B, with his wife. The Lord had to step in and supernaturally take care of that situation. So yeah, I, <clears throat> there are some accounts of Well, look at David. Here's the man after God's own heart. And he sees Bathsheba taking a bath. By the way, that's not why she was called Bathsheba. She was called Bathshevang because she was the the daughter of Shevang. Okay, Sheba. Uh, We'll get that out of their way. And so um, here now he takes her. He commits fornication with her. Uh, and then he realizes that, uh-oh, this could be something that would come back on me when her husband comes home from war. And then uh, she looks at, he looks at her and says, how are you expecting? I was at war. So David then uh, tells Joab, look, uh, send Bathsheba's husband down. Uh, <clears throat> tell him he's got R&R coming. And so he comes back from the front. David said, okay, have a good time with your wife this weekend. 
And uh, what does he do? He sleeps on his doorstep. He won't even go in the house. He's, he's such a noble person. He says, my comrades are suffering out there in the field, living in tents. Uh, there's no way I'm going to go in my house and have relations with my wife this weekend. And so then he goes back to the front. And David realizes, oh, oh got to <clears throat> go with plan B here. And what's that? Tells Joab, put him in the hottest part of the battle and withdraw from Uriah. 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 And they do. Joab, he, Joab withdraws, and he's killed in battle. Oh, you know, that's okay. You know, it's, one falls in battle and another one doesn't. But that's just the way it goes. C'est la vie. And then when he finds out that Uriah is dead, he takes Bathsheba as his wife. He thinks he's gotten away with it. Did he do that un- unintentionally? There's no way you could do all that unintentionally. He just swept it under the rug and thought, everybody's going to be fooled about this. But there was somebody who wasn't fooled. He was a prophet. What was the prophet's name? Nathan. And Nathan comes and he tells a story about a guy who had a very beloved pet lamb. And uh, he was, this was a poor man, and he just loved this lamb. And then a wealthy man had someone come and visit him, and uh, he needed to have an animal to, to serve the guest. So he swipes the poor man's lamb, takes it, kills it, serves his guest, and David becomes enraged. That man ought to die. And then Nathan points his finger at David and says, you are the man. Right away, David knows, "Uh uh-oh, here's this prophet. God has told him what I did, and I haven't covered it up. Be sure your sin will find you out. And it found out David. And then David truly repented of his sin. Read Psalm 51. We just used it as a metaphor, wash me from my iniquity. He had no excuse for his sin, and he offered the Lord no excuse for his sin. It was as intentional as it could have possibly been. But was it the sin with a high hand? Did he do that because he despised the word of the Lord? Or because he despised the Lord himself and wanted everybody to have a a low opinion of the God of heaven? No. And when confronted with his sin, he came clean about it. All right, so this then uh, is, there was nothing unintentional about David's sin, but he was forgiven. I think the key to to answering these questions basically lies in the correct understanding of of this Hebrew word translated unintentional sin. Now, the root verb uh, of shagaga is the verb shagag, to commit an error 
or to sin inadvertently. This is from Holiday's concise Hebrew uh, lexicon. And uh, I would say sometimes the word is used this way, inadvertently. But other times it's broader to commit an error. Yeah, but more than an error, it can be an intentional sin. It's just broader than what the word unintentional seems to convey. The verb does not always have to mean to sin inadvertently. For instance, in 1 Samuel 26, uh, 21, here we have, the, we have Saul saying, as he's confronted by David, uh, that, that he, well, we'll go there. Let's go to 1 Samuel 26. This is when Saul is chasing David in the wilderness. And uh, basically, he's had his people, his army, hunting David. But they aren't coming up with uh, being able to kill David. And so, uh, essentially then, what Saul does is he, he goes out and leads the army. And he's probably saying to himself, if I'm in charge... We'll find him. We'll kill him. There is absolutely everything intentional about this. All right. And so what happens is, this is the second time David had a chance to kill Saul. The first time was in a cave when, David came, when Saul came in to relieve himself. And David's men are saying, look, he's defenseless. God has given your enemy into your hand. Kill him. David's answer is what? I'm not going to put my hand out against the Lord's anointed. Some other way he'll die, but it's not going to be at my hand. All right, next time. Now fast forward some period of time. And uh, David and his men come upon Saul, sound asleep, and everybody around him is sound asleep. The ones that are supposed to be protecting Saul are all asleep. And there is a spear and a vessel of water at, at Saul's head. And, is, and uh, who is it there that says, was it Joab? Let me go and I will, no, with me was Abishai. I forget who it was. But they said, let me go and I'll grab the spear and I'll pin him to the ground with it, and I won't, I won't strike twice. I mean, I'm going to do him in. And David says, no, no, no. We can't put our hand against the Lord's anointed. And uh, then, as a matter of fact, it tells us that, the text tells us, that God had caused a deep sleep, a ter dema, a very deep sleep to fall on all of the men surrounding Saul and on Saul himself. So David takes the spear and the vessel of water, goes up, apparently up to a higher place, and he yells down at Saul, Hey, Saul, look what I've got. And he holds up the spear and the cruise of water that had been right at his head and said, I could have killed you, but I didn't do it. And then, and then Saul says, Oh, David, my son, is, is that your voice? And David says, yeah, yeah, that's me. <laughs> and uh, 
Here's what Saul says in uh, verse 21. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do you harm, because my life was precious in your eyes today. Now that word sin right there is the most general word for sin. Uh, it's chata. And uh, so there's the most general word for sin. Behold, I have acted foolishly. There's another Hebrew verb that means to act foolishly. And I have made a great mistake. That's our, our verb, shagag. All right? So, basically, was this a mistake that just sort of happened unintentionally? Uh, wow. I, I don't know how in the, the world you could say that. Saul's been after David continually for months, maybe years. I don't know what kind of a time frame this is, but Saul's been purposely pursuing David for the goal of killing him dead as a doornail. Wasn't a mistake. And so basically, this is one of the reasons why uh, Saul, when he, quote, confessed his sin, really wasn't confessing his sin. Remember when God had told Saul, here's what I want you to do. I want you to wipe out the Amalekites. And they went to battle against the Amalekites. And what did Saul do with the king of the Amalekites? And with the choicest of the animals, they took his spoil. Well, he, he, he said, well, the, you know, the people made me do it. Just like Aaron when he made the golden calf. The people made me do it. There, when confronted with sin, if we make excuses for ourselves, that's not confession. Confession is, Lord, I knew that was wrong, and I did it anyway, and now I'm confessing it as sin, and I'm forsaking it, and I want to live right and please you. Everything I think, everything I say, every action I do, I want my whole life to be spotless and sin-free. That's our heart's desire. Sadly, that's not the way we live because we succumb to temptation. But that is not the sin with a high hand. Now, Richard Avervac has an interesting uh, uh, piece here in the New International Dictionary of Old Testament Theology. Volume 2, page 94, he's talking about the different kinds of sin that the Old Testament talks about. And he concludes, after some discussion, Leviticus 4 to 5 probably has a sense of someone staying, straying from the commands of the Lord, whether unintentionally or because they were tempted to do so and followed their temptations. So what Averback is doing here is he's saying the verb shagag is broader than just to sin unintentionally. It also includes 
to sin because we're weak and we're sinners by nature. And we sin in practice, even though we don't want to. For a person like that, in the Old Testament economy, there was forgiveness and the sin offering or purification offering is what covered it. There was nothing but capital punishment for the sin with a high hand. All right. Any questions about that? Yes, George. Yeah, it's, it's true that Saul had lots of problems, and not the least of which was his seeming inability uh, to do right by David. But the text does tell us that when David was anointed the next king, that God put the Holy Spirit on David and he took away his spirit from Saul and sent a evil spirit on Saul to torment him. So Saul's life is such a mess. It's crazy. And he never did repent of that. And that evil spirit wreaked havoc in his life. That's true. Uh, I don't think the fact that they're mentally ill absolves them from uh, the responsibility of their sin. For instance, you know, we have the common plea in the court system today that the person was deemed to be uh, innocent by means of, of um, mental illness. And he, yeah, he killed somebody, but he's not responsible for it. I've never really thanked, you know, bought that, but that's something we, we could disagree with. Uh, you, that, I think that's probably true, that Saul's not under complete control of his actions because of the fact that he is being tormented by this evil spirit. He's an illustration of how if a person wants to live a life of sin and continually turn his back on the Lord, that uh, he's in for perhaps this sort of, of what we would describe as mental illness today. But the Bible talks about being under the control of a demon, basically. All right, chapter 4 involves four classes of people. The high priest, whoa, we're out of time. The whole nation, a leader of the nation, and an individual Israelite. And we'll talk about, next week we'll talk about how these various offerings work and how they're different depending on who's the one who is guilty of this sin. So let's pray. Our Father, we are thankful that the blood of Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Help us to realize day by day that if we do sin, you have promised us if we confess our sin that you are righteous and just to forgive us our sin And that is only on the basis of the shed blood of our Savior. Father, thank you for your gracious provision of Christ. I pray in his name. Amen.